Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and talking about history and making things. And we normally start by talking about the things that we have been making and or baking recently. So what have you been up to? Um, so mostly obtaining things for my next big making. I, I have got the oil for the sunlight soap. I'm going to make that this weekend. Cool. Um, which means when this goes up, I should be able to post a picture of the sunlight soap, which is just going to look like a, a plain bar of soap, but we'll know. I mean, imagining it just glowing with sunlight. <laughs> Maybe I'll take a picture of it outside. <laughs> um, but I, I have also, this is probably a thing that most people already know, and I'm just a fool. Um, but I've discovered that condensed milk tastes almost exactly like white chocolate. So we made a white chocolate and raspberry ice cream without having to work with white chocolate, which is an evil substance that does not do what it's told. By Sweet. Establishing by this. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, as we established in the chocolate episode, it's not in fact chocolate. It is deceitful. <laughs> and also ill-mannered um, but it turns out if you want to make white chocolate ice cream you can just use condensed milk instead and it tastes like white chocolate okay that's a revelation so we, we made raspberry and white chocolate ice cream we made a raspberry compote and then made just plain ice cream but with condensed milk in it and swirled it together and then it was raspberry and white chocolate ice cream Oh my gosh, that sounds delicious, and you're making me jealous of having an ice cream maker. Oh, this was actually a no-churn one. Oh, okay. Even better. I will I will try and remember to send you the recipe after we finish recording. Yes, I can't please. put it up as a patron recipe, because I stole it from Good Housekeeping. <laughs> uh, but... We can't plagiarise Good Housekeeping. But I will put up an ice cream recipe as this month's Patreon recipe, available to $5 or, or above patrons. <laughs> so that... Nice, uh, nice plug in there. Yeah, that, that has been my making. How about you? Um, so I have been venturing into embroidery, which is something I have done before. But just just very simple things, really. Like, I've I've done just some split stitch line art type stuff and you know your average um how to keep your kid busy by giving them a little embroidery instructions and making some flowers um I that you clarified simple as in the technique rather than the project because you did embroider a tree of life on my wedding dress oh i did yes <laughs> and like celtic knots and things i forgot about that um but that was actually it was only two stitches it was split stitch and satin stitch both of which are really simple once you know how well it was um, very pretty yeah i was i was quite pleased with that um, and that was only one color as well so that was fairly easy but what i am doing now is an embroidered portrait of my grandma for her 90th birthday um that's cute yeah, so it it's hopefully going to be very cute, but also because it's such a like significant present or like you know emotionally significant, I'm just really scared of working on it because I want it to come out good. <laughs> so I I had a, a picture of her uh, when she was a student nurse in the fifties, and she's wearing uh, one of those really. Um, really neat white uniforms with a little hat and um so I, I put that into just a free uh graphic design program it's called gravit designer and i just like traced over it um to make a vector image of just like you know kind of a line art just sort of yeah simplifying it as much as i could and then i used that printed that off and used it as a pattern um, but I am embroidering it in like full colour. So I'm, yeah, I haven't really had to do this scale of like 
choosing colors and trying to make it look realistic before so and I'm having to think about like stitch direction and like it's it's a bit nail biting but I'm enjoying it it's I'm learning a lot um, it, it oh, does sound fun if slightly weird to presumably at some point be stood in front of a wall of embroidery floss and going which one looks like my grandmother's skin <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i do also now own a copy of therese de dilmont's um encyclopedia oh. of needlework which i oh, found right. in a secondhand bookshop the other day and that is very exciting. Uh, and it has instructions for needle painting in it, which is like realistic uh, long and short stitch embroidery, which is what I'm trying to do. So that's handy and good timing. Yeah. Um, and it has a dedication in the front that it was given to somebody named Evelyn in 1935. And I love it. That's really lovely. <laughs> so that that is me. Um, oh, by the way, if you are a new listener, we have an episode on Therese de Dilmont's Encyclopedia of Needlework, um, which is like a very significant volume. And yeah, if you're interested in that, go back and listen to it. If you give me a second, I can tell you what episode number it is. Ooh. <laughs> that is episode 25 from January 2021. Episode 25. If you want to learn about the books that Hazel bought. Mm-hmm. And it's also available for free online. And about um, a legitimate embroidery influencer. Yeah, she had shops under her name open in like various European capitals. And this book was in print until the 1950s, like from the 1880s. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, listen and then come back to this one. But yeah, what anyway, is this one? Uh, today <laughs> I'm going to talk about meal times like the the times that we eat um and what what meals we eat when and why that is so yeah this is kind of brought about by at the moment i work a job where i work over like what most people would consider lunchtime and so my eating pattern at the moment is a bit weird like i eat my lunch at about 11 a.m. And then I have a snack when I get back home later. But um, yeah, so that got me thinking, like, oh, I wonder what time people eat at different places in the world. And then, so this is going to be the history of mealtimes. Um, so, yeah, I, the, the different places is going to be interesting because I... So I I vaguely remember I I did a weird thing when I was doing my A level Spanish where we went and worked in Spain for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so ev- everything was closed at the time that I normally have my tea. <laughs> so and we ended up eating at like eight p.m. and it was awful. <laughs> By yeah, tea, I of course mean the evening meal, which yeah, has so but... many names. <laughs> So that's kind of an infamous one. That, I, I don't um, know if you're covering that one, but absolutely. Um, okay. We will. We will once and for all settle the "is your evening meal dinner or tea" debate. Um, not, I know it's not supper because supper is when you have a small meal later in the evening. Yeah, and we I agree will on that. Fight you on this? <laughs> no, no, no. I agree with you on that one. Um, it's it's just like the. Dinner, tea, lunch thing. Yeah, um, supper is elevenses, but late. It's dark elevenses. <laughs> it's evening second breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so the yeah the Spanish um, evening meal being really late is is quite an infamous one. I, I had a Spanish housemate when I was living in Manchester as well who would eat dinner really late and if we would go on nights out together she would be like oh yeah we'll go out after dinner except dinner is like nine or ten o'clock and then I'd just be like I'm I'm ready to go out and she was just like no we don't go out until like 1am what what do you mean <laughs> um so you yeah do that. <laughs> I I was very sleepy I could not do that yeah like I, I'm a very early person 
I, I wake up at like 7 a.m. and I go to bed at 10. That's that's my day. Oh, maybe maybe 11 if I'm watching a long film. <laughs> I'm a bit more of a night owl, but I just couldn't like I her friends would just do this like a couple nights a week and then just go to work the next day. And I was just like, how can you do this? Um, Yeah. So but then I guess they also have siestas, don't they? So you catch up on the sleep a little bit. <laughs> yeah, apparently lunch is like a bit more of a thing and like you have longer for your lunchtime. Anyway. Um, Sorry, I'm, so... I'm, get I'm getting ahead of you. <laughs> I'm going to go kind of back in the day here. Um, apparently having a meal time, like everyone eating together is a product of the agricultural revolution um, in the early Neolithic. So like with the rise of farming becoming a thing, uh, people started having to arrange their day around like a regular routine of farming tasks and you're living like in the same place. So you start having to arrange your eating around all of this i guess so, that makes sense because before that i assume you just sort of eat when you have food yeah um the the general consensus is that like our our hunter-gatherer ancestors just ate like whenever whenever they wanted to and whenever there was food um and this is like supported by a lot of anthropo anthropological evidence of um hunter-gatherer peoples around the world um and indigenous peoples who still do that um and yeah it works <laughs> like that's that's kind of how it be before farming uh and in fact um apart well, apart from uh big feasting events so there there is evidence um in the form of things like big midden heaps uh, like heaps of, of rubbish that was deposited all at the same time um, that tell us that people were gathering at certain times and having a, a big feast and everyone eating at once. Um, so that kind of ties in with the whole like when you have food. So like if there's a particular abundance of a certain food, you might as well like have a feast and make use of it. Um, and so in fact um the uh, an interesting offshoot of that is that the paleolithic diet or you know the paleo diet actually isn't oh um, yeah <laughs> like the the idea that prehistoric peoples were eating just like low carb high protein like basically just meat is not a thing um that's that's not real in fact we gatherers um, yeah, it's just that the evidence for the things they were eating that is not meat is less easy to find, and you kind of have to involve zooarchaeology to find it. But that's your thing. Um, yeah, so we should do an episode on like the real paleo diet. Oh, that would be fun. I wonder if we yeah. could get an archaeologist on for that. Yeah, that would be cool. Okay, so um, we have people actually having meals together. Um, and for a lot of history, it was the custom to have your main meal in the middle of the day, um, or at least closer to about noon. So if you are if you're a rural laborer, if you're working in the fields, um, and this is before uh, artificial light as well. So you're going to be rising with the dawn. Um, breakfast is a bit of a, a debatable one. Like, some people ate breakfast and some people didn't. Uh, but it, it kind of seems to be the case that if you're a labourer, you're going to be eating breakfast because like, you need that. So you're rising with the dawn, you're having like a small breakfast um, and you're going out to work in the fields and so by noon you've already worked about six hours you're going to be hungry 
and that's when yeah that's when people would be coming back to have their main meal and so that was your dinner so where the whole dinner becoming an evening meal thing comes from um is that as the industrial revolution happened and people started moving into the towns and going to work in factories you, you could only take with you for your lunch break um like you you might not get a big lunch break um and you could only take what you could carry with you to work so people started having their the kind of a lighter meal in the middle of the day at dinner time and then the actual main meal so the dinner got pushed back to when they got back from work um so i mean that's also like if if you've got a couple and the wife's also working then you she's not going to be able to make dinner until she gets back either so you're telling me that if early factories had had decent canteens we might have still had lunch as the big main meal Possibly so. And in fact, in a lot of rural areas, um, basically, as far as I can make out, every rural area around the world, um, having a, your main meal in the middle of the day remained the custom right up until the 20th century. And it's in a lot of places, it's still the custom because that's just like that's how it fits in with your working pattern uh, and especially if you live close to where you work so if you're working on the family farm you can easily come back in for dinner at midday I mean I guess I guess it does make sense you kind of you're having your big load of calories in the middle of doing a lot of hard physical stuff mm -hmm. and just sort of topping up at the start and end yeah so then supper would be like the later meal that you would have um and uh, obviously nobody likes going to bed on a full stomach and people would be going to bed quite early um before the artificial light so that's that's why supper is what you're gonna do when it gets dark yeah <laughs> around with a candle yeah um and people obviously are going to be getting up early as well so especially for most of the year um people are going to bed really early so you want to get your meal in before it gets dark mm. now the exception to this is if you're super rich and then Obviously. you can basically do what you want yeah you don't need a big calorie injection at a certain point yeah so this is where we get luncheon oh yeah now i was talking to my parents earlier and they kind of backed me up on this that luncheon was kind of a posh thing for a lot of history. Um, I mean, if you're so... going to call it luncheon. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely that. <laughs> well, to be honest, the word mostly reminds me of spam because spam is luncheon meat. Oh, that's true. I think that is the main place that I see it nowadays. Um... <laughs> yeah, so... Apparently, so all the um, rich people sat around their big houses <laughs> eating spam. <laughs> so, if you were a labourer, you'd be getting up at the crack of dawn, heading out to your fields or your work. If you were a rich person, you did not have to do that. So, you would not be getting up as early. And so, your dinner gets pushed back a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then also your breakfast. So that meant that um, originally, kind of in the 18th century, you still had this kind of, there would be one big meal and it would be earlier on. And so, you know, people might be, the fancy people might be getting up about 9 or 10 a.m. or even later and doing their stuff, breaking their fast, and then having their dinner kind of early afternoon. But 
as time went on, people started having their main meal later and later. And the people who actually did have to get up fairly early, which was mainly the ladies who had to still had to do stuff like organizing the children and the household. Um, and they kind of started going, hey, we're kind of hungry. <laughs> like, it's, Understandable. It's kind of a long time from breakfast until dinner. Uh, we're we're going to have another meal, like a light meal in between. And that's luncheon. And originally that was, that was a ladies thing for ladies. <laughs> um, and it would be like Bellas. baby stuff. <laughs> and in fact apparently um the infamous prince of wales the prince regent later george the fourth was kind of well known for lunching with ladies and that was considered like part of his scandalousness i mean i guess it do it does combine his two big vices of women and food yep <laughs> indeed all in one convenient package there you go. Luncheon, extremely scandalous. <laughs> I think of that every time I sit down to a cheap egg and crap. <laughs> uh, and in fact, later on, that was also the invention of tea as well, as in tea time. About I, I have heard this story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that being like as as meal times got more standardized but then evening meals would would still be quite late on occasion i mean especially if you were like at court and the monarch for some reason wasn't hungry yet and then everyone would have to wait until they wanted to eat because you can't eat before the monarch so yeah, I guess if, when you once you've got the more standard meals but you're still getting up late it's like three hours between breakfast and lunch and then yeah. anywhere from like six to nine hours before you get to eat again. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, especially if you're like a sort of upper middle, upper class person and you're going out to dinner in other people's houses a lot, um, that's generally served fairly late. So, again, the ladies are getting hungry. <laughs> um, and then tea time. Oh, it's just the ladies. The men are just like, no, it's manly to suffer. <laughs> Well, I think also, like, it was more acceptable for a man to go out and buy snacks. Oh, um, that's true. Just go to the club. Yeah, exactly. Just, like, drop into the club for a, a one of those newfangled sandwiches. <laughs> I've heard of these. We definitely <laughs> haven't been eating those for the entirety of the time we've had bread. Of course. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's how tea ended up being something that consists of, you know, dainty little sandwiches with crusts cut off and little cakes and um, and that sort of thing. Although, interestingly, tea time didn't really catch on in, in other places. Um, so apparently in the, 19th, the later 19th century and early 20th century, Five o'clock tea time was was just like everyone in Britain. Um, <laughs> if if you could, you did five o'clock tea time. So I I may be I may be reading ahead, but mm. what? How does dinner become tea time in the north and then stay dinner in the south? Yeah. So I I think. Again, that's kind of more to do with class and occupation than necessarily like geographics. Um, but I, I think it's just a case of like the the kind of fancier terms for it catching on more in the south than in the north. Um, because like even even down here, rural people were still eating their main meal at in at midday um or in the afternoon for uh, you know right up until the 20th century so i was reading um a book called early to rise by bob copper 
the other day who is or who was um like a really well-known figure in Sussex folk song and it's about his uh life growing up in the 1900s and he describes and in a, a small village uh on the South Downs in rural Sussex and um he describes his mother um making dinner in the afternoon so like making this this big meal in the afternoon um and then even though the father was out at work um the family would still like have their dinner in the afternoon um save some for dad and then when he got home later like it would be heated up for him and then everyone else would just have supper so yeah i i think it's just like a case of certain language catching on in the south more than it did in the north and it might have something to do as well i think with the sort of industrial centers in the north um so that's, yeah that's the other way around because what what i've encountered at least is you get sort of the north especially working class north and scotland calling the evening meal tea and then yeah. there's impossible people calling it dinner. Yeah. Um, well, I got a bit confused with the the lunchtime meal there as well. So, <laughs> okay, let me get this straight. So tea is either the... Okay, tea or, or dinner is the evening meal. Mm-hmm. And then the afternoon meal is either lunch or dinner yeah i think i think it's a similar split of like we by we i guess i I just mean like the north um (laughs) i i've always had breakfast lunch and tea Mm -hmm. but then there's also people who have breakfast lunch and dinner Mm. or Breakfast, dinner, and supper. Yeah, and I've also had breakfast, dinner, and tea. So. <laughs> I yeah, I think it's just a thing of certain things, uh, you know, remain the case in certain areas, and then depending on where your family's from, that's what you say. If if anyone listening to this has English as a second language, good luck. <laughs> yeah. So um, the the kind of exception to this is Sunday lunch or Sunday dinner uh, being the traditional main meal ah, yes. at lunchtime. See, that one's uh, always made sense to me because my assumption, obviously I might be wrong and you're the one that's done the research for this episode, but my mm-hmm. assumption has always been, you know, traditionally you would have been at a really long church service. <laughs> uh yes but also I've been told like, of, like older relatives putting a joint on at a low temperature then going out to church and then coming back and it's done and then you have the big meal <laughs> well yeah i think that's the reason for it being a roast is because that's easy to do um when you're gonna be going out for a few hours um but also um that remained the kind of thing of Sunday was the day off for Mm -hmm. most working people. And so that would keep the custom of having your main meal in the middle of the day because you you didn't have to move it. Um, So apparently that's kind of why it's still in the afternoon. Um, So apparently a lot of these older customs of eating um, persisted in the US when they kind of has started changing in the UK. So stuff like having your main meal in the middle of the day and eating lighter in the evening um, and like not having such a big breakfast. Apparently that remained the custom um, when in in Britain, it was changing. Um, but then also on in continental Europe, it seems to be the case that, um, especially in places like the Mediterranean, where it's a warmer climate, 
and like the afternoon is quite hot um and people are taking a break anyway um like the custom of having a larger main meal in the afternoon is is still around um that makes sense if it's kind of i don't have the energy to do anything else yeah (laughs) sit here and eat my pasta and then go to sleep for a bit i mean that's that's the dream isn't it that is the dream absolutely um i mean that is also the case in you know other places of the world especially places that have a lot of warm climate um like when i was living in vietnam the midday nap was just everyone had a midday nap and it was the best um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's i like it it seems to be that when you what time you eat develops a lot in response to what climate you live in what your occupation is like yeah whether or not you're living or you're working close to home um what the availability of food is around where you're working so uh like a lot of people if you've got time for lunch like you might have in a warmer climate then you can Maybe if you're not going back home, you can pop out to a street stall or something, or even to a restaurant, have have something there that's a bit more of a meal. Um, so you're just reminding me of um, a former co-worker who was French, was appalled at the idea of having lunch at your desk and would go out to, like, at the very least, a Starbucks, if not somewhere nicer every lunchtime even though she only had like half an hour she was like no i'm gonna go and have a proper lunch it's a great accent (laughs) yeah um so it um it's a thing with schools as well so a lot of we're used to schools in the uk finishing about three o'clock in the afternoon um but uh in a lot of places in continental Europe, they start pretty early and then finish about like one o'clock or one thirty. So the kids don't have a lunch break. They have like a, a snack break and then just go home for lunch. So that kind of implies that whoever's taking care of them also has time to like pick them up and then have lunch at home and then maybe go mm. back. But um yeah apparently french kids until recently didn't have school on wednesdays that's interesting oh i don't know if that's just like primary or something but anyway um (laughs) fun facts so um another thing that can have an effect on what time you eat as well as the time of year and you know whatever religious festival might be happening at that time um so for example in islamic cultures the festival of festival of ramadan um like sets out when you eat so of course you're fasting during the daytime the daylight hours so everyone eats before the sun comes up and then after the sun goes down um and likewise in europe the catholic church governed a lot of what people ate um and this leads me to (laughs) collop monday which is the day before shrove tuesday or as we know in the uk pancake day um collop monday how how are you spelling that? C O L L O P. Okay. Um, and I believe a collop is like awful. I mean, I I always have time for awful. Hmm. Um. So this is taking us back to breakfast and the origins of the full English breakfast. Um. So apparently, which would have been the midday meal back in the Middle Ages, so it sort of becomes breakfast at the point when larger breakfasts are starting to become a thing. 
Um, so yeah, Collop Monday was the day before Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day. So during Lent, for 40 days, you're fasting from meat. And so Collop Monday <laughs> was the day when you would be using up all your meat before the period of Lent. And for a lot of people, this meant pork because a lot of people would be keeping pigs. And so that's how, apparently, how the full English breakfast of like sausages and bacon started. Because bacon and eggs were actually quite an quite a common food, even for the lower classes. Like a lot of people kept pigs and chickens. So bacon and eggs was something that you might not have all year round, but like certainly in season, you would have it. So yeah, that's that's kind of a brief history of what people are eating at what time. Um it it's kind of been shaken up today due to well for one thing us having artificial light but then also modern working patterns so from what i've been able to find out um most people around the world if you live in a city now eat three meals a day breakfast lunch and dinner mm-hmm. um but a lot of people in rural areas still have the main meal in the middle of the day um, and that seems to be the same pretty much around the world, although in some places, like, they're still a lot more serious about lunch, like, apparently in Mexico uh, and South America, like, lunch is a big deal um, and can have several courses, which sounds great. That that does sound great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you have just more of a supper in the evening. Um, So like an evening meal isn't really a thing. Um, But it seems to be in a lot of places that the main meal is eaten just whenever people get back from work. So that that varies anywhere from like four till seven around the world. Um, Yeah. So that is the meals. Cool. That I I did not know it was so complex. It, apparently, it turns out that um, when you eat your main meal is actually a product of like a lot of different social and political factors. <laughs> I believe industrialization robbed us. Of the several hour long lunch break. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's the damn agricultural revolution. I'm telling you, everything went wrong when we started farming. Just <laughs> what happened to eating whenever you're hungry? That's a hot take. <laughs> that is a hot take. In fact, farming that is a hot take. intuitive eating <laughs> is now the take. <laughs> that is a hot take, which apparently is being taken up by um, some, like nutritional recommendations now which i don't i don't know much about because i did read a little bit about it but it was like the article was basically on a website that was like there were absolutely no sources and the gist of what they were saying just seemed to be like well our ancestors didn't eat three meals a day so why should you and I was kind of like, hmm, you haven't really given any reasons for why this is better, so. <laughs> I- yeah, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I can see where you're coming from, but I need you to come a little bit further. Yeah, like, I well, this seemed to work for our ancestors, and it, it seems to work for a lot of cultures today still. Um, but, like, I want to know why it's better. <laughs> Mm. Hello, I'm Mod Pencil from Probably Bad RPG Ideas. If you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as what if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real, 
and what is the best rules for an OSAP. Then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are and also YouTube. Or check out our Tumblr and Twitter. So that is it. What do we have for the local larder today? I am going to talk about the national dish of Thailand and how it became the national dish of Thailand. Okay. This um, is exciting. Have, have you had pad thai? I have had pad thai. It is delicious. Um, I have heard that it is actually not a particularly old or traditional dish, um, but I have no idea why. So tell me about pad thai. So. I mean, how old it is as a dish really depends on how you count it. Okay. Um, because when you come down to it, it's rice noodles in a certain sauce that definitely already existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was formalised as pad thai. Um in the sort of late 30s early 40s um which was a time when thailand was going through a big period of um sort of nationalism and building a concept of national identity because it was a very sort of blended culture Mm -hmm. um and then i have listened to videos on how to pronounce this but I might still get it wrong. Um, Black Pibun Songkram, um, often known in the West as just um, Pibble, uh, was the prime minister and dictator of Thailand um, yeah, from 38 right up until pretty much the end of the Second World War. Um, so basically he was inspired by Mussolini, which is always a good start to a sentence. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that tells us things aren't going to go great. <laughs> to start the Thai Cultural Revolution, um, which changed the country's name from Siam to Thailand, uh, promoted the use of the Thai language and the concept of a national identity rather than identifying with the different ethnic groups within Thailand um, and issued these 12 cultural mandates, one of which was about using Thai products and Thai food, uh, which included the promotion of Pad Thai um, as a kind of this is our national food now, rice noodles and spicy tamarind sauces is what we eat here. Okay, um, I, I, I was kind of with, like, that doesn't sound too bad, you know, until the this is what we eat thing. Like, you know, promoting, like, local products and, and stuff well, is... Promoting local products generally nice because you don't want people to identify with other countries and are especially very, very anti China. But, like, yeah, until you get to the part about we're going to tell you what these local products are that you should be using, it, yeah, that part's not so Yeah, great. It's, it's a very quick move from we should have a national identity to nationalism. Mm. Um, but apparently it was especially these noodles because people ate a lot of rice, unsurprisingly for the region. Mm-hmm. Um, but due to the Second World War and flooding, there was a shortage of rice in sort of the very, very early 40s. Okay. Um, so people's government promoted the consumption of noodles instead because it used less rice per serving and it it was sort of a push of like it's almost the Thai equivalent of digging for victory 
So okay. we're going to eat the rice noodles instead of the rice. And it's wow. going to help us win the war. And it's going to bring us all together. Oh, did it? Um, he, he was ousted, but then he came back. So, okay. unclear. Hmm. Um, but I mean, when, when he came back, he did face several very large coup attempts and was overthrown and exiled. So it, overall, hey. I don't think it worked for him. But I mean, Thai is now a coherent cultural identity, which it sounds like it was less before. Mm-hmm. But how much of that is him and how much is just general geopolitics I do not know about Asian politics to comment but it it doesn't sound like Pad Thai was a big factor Um, but it is is now considered the national dish Mm -hmm. Um, and in a CNN poll in 2011 it was rated the fifth most delicious food in the world ooh I think that's pretty good for your national dish. Yeah, I mean, especially a, a quiz compiled on the other side of the world. A quiz, a list compiled on the other side of the world. Yeah. Well, would would you like to know the top five most delicious foods? I would. While I've got the list open. Yeah. Um. Interestingly, they're all Asian. That doesn't surprise me. Um, so, I mean, it it doesn't surprise me in that Asian food is delicious. It surprises me in that it was exactly. a CNN poll. Okay. Um. So yeah, five is pad thai. Four is um tom yam goong, which is another Thai dish. Uh, yeah, also Thai, right? Uh, three is sushi, which I don't know. That feels like a pretty vague. Mm, yeah, like I don't. Uh, depends what sushi Stuck we're with rice about in here. a Japanese way. Um, two is nasi goreng, which That's, is like a, delicious. Is an Indonesian okay. um, chicken and egg and prawn rice. Yeah, egg. I've never had it, but it always sounded good. It is gorgeous. And number one, mm. I do agree with this being one of the most delicious foods, actually, is rendang, which is um, an also... Indonesian stew with coconut milk. And... Oh, oh. Making me hungry. Oh. This making me hungry. Oh, man. Coconut milk-based stews are, like, one of the absolute best foods. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm super hungry now. <laughs> I have a goal to make everything on this list. <laughs> I can't so imagine yeah, fish and chips would score very highly on that list. Like possibly not. It's delicious but in a different way. Like I haven't read through the whole list, so okay. you never know. I feel like fish and chips is like a it, it's not the flavours that are did the delicious part. Like it's it's the crunch and the the crispiness of the chip and like it's it's just the it's cold and I'm eating a crunchy hot potato. I mean who doesn't like a crunchy hot potato? Indeed. So yeah that is pad thai a surprisingly nationalist dish. <laughs> yeah I didn't expect that. I thought it would be the case where it was like this is more of a fusion food and like people in the west have just decided that this is the dish that represents thailand you know sort of like chicken tikka masala um but yeah i I didn't realize that it was actually like an internal effort to make it the national dish sorry i'm looking at this list now um Number 37 is crisps. Again, which crisps? Because... Crisps. All mm. crisps. <laughs> Every crisp. Except prawn cocktail. 
Oh, I, I, I like prawn cocktail, but only when it's like skips or monster munch. I don't like prawn cocktail good crisps. <laughs> if, if that I, makes sense. I think my favourite crisp might be the like industrial chemical pickled onion flavour of pickled Fish onion. Fish and chips is number 21. Oh, okay. That's not bad. That's not bad. It sits between pho and egg tart, which is like an egg custard tart. Okay. Hmm. I'll, I'll accept this. I'm just, I'm having a weird image of like fish and chips next to foot. Like one of those is, I mean, they're, they're both delicious, but one of those is very greasy and heavy. And the other one is like delicious, fragrant freshness. Maybe you have the fur as like a starter. <laughs> That's that's not a meal combination that I had considered. No, I I I realized as I said it, it was, that's not good. No. <laughs> so, um, if you want to suggest an episode or a local order, uh, you can email us um at breadandthreadpodcast at gmail dot com. Sorry, I was yawning. You can also. <laughs> Find us on Twitter at Bread and Thread, um, and on YouTube as well under the same name. And on Tumblr, we are a triple threat. We have all the socials except TikTok. No, never TikTok. No. Um, we also have a Patreon if you want access. Like I said, to recipes to a discord server where we chat about things that we've made and cooked and talk about the episodes um or at ten dollars or above if you want your own bonus episode on anything you want um that is patreon.com slash bread and thread i think that's everything Thing, that's yeah. everything so um, I, we have a lot of things now but that is we it. do so thank you for listening and we will see you next time <laughs>